Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. This is episode uh, 202? Yeah, that's correct. I was just guessing. Good guess. Because it's been so long since we recorded the last episode, like a week or more. A week. We record these every week. Oh, a week. It's been a week. Jason, as you know, <laughs> it is Sunday... <laughs> Uh, February 6th. And oh we my gosh, how time flies. My, my son just turned 17. We record these and then we, I, I, I edit them in the span of like 20 minutes and we post them at 1 a.m. on Monday mornings. My, you know the drill. My wife recently turned an indiscriminate number of years old. Is her, her birthday is in February. Groundhog Day. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. yep. I know. Do you want to know her social security number too? I know that. <laughs> sure. Rattle it off. <laughs> this is uh, issue 309 from November of 1989. We're almost into my senior year of high school. It is uh, again John Byrne and Paul Ryan. Though I noticed this time, just because at the end of the last episode, we were talking about Tom Palmer doing finishes. And this time, the art is credited to Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer pictures. Pictures. Which is just interesting. Picture pages, picture pages, time to get your picture pages, no. time to get your crayons and your pencils. No. We, no. Should, we shouldn't talk about that. He's bad. Um, it's called... Picture pages, picture... No. It's called To Find Olympia. I don't remember reading this one. I think I fell asleep. Exclamation point. Have I mentioned that before? Well, basically, we start where we ended the last issue, which is our Avengers team, which is Captain America, She-Hulk, Thor, and Namor with Cersei their helper friend who have come to Olympia to try to keep the nearly dead Gilgamesh from becoming completely dead. He's still almost dead. They have come to Olympia, but Olympia has gone. There's just a giant hole in the ground, a giant smoking hole in the ground, apparently. So uh, if you recall in the last issue, Thor had a moment of weakness where he felt faint. And um, when they land and get out to go, I don't know, stand there and look at the hole. <laughs> Cersei also feels faint. Yeah. So now everybody's carrying somebody, right? Oh, no, wait. Captain Captain America carried her over and just sat her down. Yeah. Meanwhile, Thor is still holding Gilgamesh like a baby. Yes. And <laughs> Thor's like, oh, I didn't know we could set them down. <laughs> and Cersei... <laughs> thanks for telling me, guys. Cersei wakes up to tell everyone that she's been scanning for the Eternals and they are not... They are near, but no longer on Earth. <gasps> what? We gotta look at her face. <gasps> and Thor thinks he might know what she's talking about so he uses Mjolnir to open a rift in space time and they see the negative zone how can you tell it's the negative zone because She-Hulk told me I... <laughs> so I'm not sure who's talking I don't I can't tell if that's She-Hulk or Namor in this panel it says he's summoning the powers vested in his hammer powers placed there by the king of the old Norse gods I thought it said horse gods <laughs> I'm like, who is the king of the old horse gods? <laughs> oh, it was Submariner, because Thor answers, I, Submariner, thou hast spoke a right. A right? Why are you making it more difficult to speak English? <laughs> a right. You spoke a right. So we have this portal of the negative zone, and Cersei, as soon as it's open, she's like, yes, that's where they are. They are in the negative zone. How? Why? Well, we'll find out, but first, we a subplot. Go, we must go where nowhere has gone before. Oh, how do they get? Do they just step into the negative zone? Yeah. They go off that rock and just like step in? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anywho, subplot. Old man. This old guy who blew up his house is now <laughs> at Polydyne. Polydyne. Did Polydyne create, uh, are they from, is that from the Terminator? Did that 
Didn't they create uh, uh, Skynet? No, that's um, Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne. Do you think Polydyne is like a sister company? Well, there's more than one Dyne. That's why it's Polydyne. Yeah, so sure. it's, the, it's the Umbrella Corporation. Oh, my God. Do you think? Oh, my God. It's the Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> do you think Janet Van Dyne owns these corporations? Do you think Janet Van Dyne funded Skynet and whatever I, the hell this guy's doing? I do. Janet. Damn it. Janet. Whatever the hell this guy's doing. Because we don't know. No, we don't know. Apparently, is this the shepherd that was in Olympia? <laughs> it's the same actor. He's playing different parts. This guy, whatever he's doing, he's created something that will power it will supply energy the the the, the it will supply the needs of the whole world for centuries wow let's not oversell it i mean is it does it have to blow up your house first i i don't know but but apparently whatever he's created is going to be he says it could reshape the universe whereas they say let's you know take it down a notch <laughs> calm down there wilbur meanwhile another another weird aside I literally fell asleep six times while reading this. I don't. So the, now we're going to the Great Lakes Avengers, where Hawkeye and Mockingbird are conducting a training session with Dinosaur, Big Bertha, Mister Immortal, Doorman, and Flatman. You didn't have to name them all. Well, you know, I can see them, but the but it, the listeners can't. You said Great Lakes Avengers. Well, it is true that it's not like their it's not like their roster changes. It's not like part of them, it's all of them. And they're going through this this training session, and Hawkeye shoots a grease arrow. A slippery grease arrow. A slippy, sorry, slippy grease arrow. At Ew. Big, what? Does he have other types of grease arrows? <laughs> At Big Barda. Nope. <laughs> Not Big Barda. At Big Bertha. Big Barda is a character from another company. And she slips and knocks Mr. Immortal into Doorman. And you had said when we first saw Doorman... You had said you thought he needed to stand against a he's, wall. He's like always against a wall so people can go through him to get through the wall. Exactly. And I was like, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, Mr. Immortal f- falls through him when he's not against a wall and or door. And it is horrible. It is not good. He, he just gets stuck in there. He disappears. Dinosaur flies into Doorman and rescues Mr. Immortal. But he's he is it, he is shocked. He's cold. So cold. Do they not get cold when they go through Doorman normally? Seems like I a guess weird not. Weird thing to add in there. I guess that I guess the idea is is if he's against a wall or a door, he can control. You can use him as a doorway, and if he's not, I don't know why this is here. Well, well, it's because Hawkeye says they're going to alien autopsy doorman. <laughs> <laughs> you better brace yourself for a whole battery of tests. We're going to find out what the heck you're all about. Just because of the way it, where it's placed, I get the impression that Hawkeye, or I get the impression that we are to believe that. If he's not against the door, maybe his powers are related to the negative zone and you go through the negative zone to get somewhere. But I always thought his powers were dark force dimension related. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I don't know. It's it's a weird little three page subplot that doesn't seem to really. And I think that's why it feels like this storyline, especially if you go all the way back to issue three or five with the Lava Man. It, why it feels like this storyline is taking so long because we keep taking all these detours <laughs> and I don't have a problem with subplots but there are subplots that don't really seem to pay off yeah we go over here and then nothing happens the negative zone is weird looking yeah well jo- Jack Kirby always had fun drawing the negative zone it's kind of like the dark dimension that Steve Ditko did in Doctor did, yeah. Strange so yes we go back to the Avengers so they're in a Quinjet so how did they get into the negative zone? Did they just fly the Quinjet through the rift that Thor made? I guess so. It didn't look like it was that big, but maybe he can enlarge it because Mjolnir can do anything. Whatever. So they're flying around aimlessly because obviously they don't have a map of the negative zone. But somehow in, in oh. what seems to be an infinite universe, they find that. Olympia. They find Olympia right in front of them. 
I like it. I don't know who says it because it's just a word balloon coming out of the Quinjet. It says, Olympia, it looks dead. I'm sorry, what is a city supposed to look like? Well, it does look like it's cr- like the buildings look cracked and and the, the, the pavement and the concrete's all cracked. I mean, it looks in disrepair. It looks like it's been here for, for centuries. Do you have, oh, yeah, there's another coloring error. Yeah, I knew Everybody's it was coming purple up. purple and weird. Yeah, there's the, the the original issues. They have some problems with coloring in this issue. Yikes. Anyway. So the Avengers land the Quinjet, and they decide that they're going to... Namor does a little bit of scouting, but all he can tell is it feels like it feels... Something here feels off. And so they split up. Captain America's like, Thor, you don't need any help. You go off alone. Cersei and She-Hulk, you go one way. Namor and I will go the other. We'll leave dead Gilgamesh leaning up against his column. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. Uh, it, it is... Captain America and Namor, as they're going along, they both say that it feels like death. Uh, Namor says it feels like Berlin at the end of World War II. And then they start talking about the Human Torch. And it is, which... Had to stick that in there. He's just setting up his West Coast Avengers. But it is kind of cool to see. I always enjoy seeing Captain America and Submariner together in the modern day. Because they do have a long history. Yeah. In any case, it's not going to be a very long history. Because as they're walking along, a power blast comes from off panel and... And uh, wounds them. Yeah, they have to dodge for cover. And we scene shift to She-Hulk and Cersei. And my favorite page of the <laughs> of the issue, Cersei is being very pompous about how amazing Olympia is and how you have to tr- handle it with respect. And then she finds the doorway to the... The central meeting place of all Eternals, the Great Hall. Beyond these doors lies the very heart of Olympia. Draw your breath in awe at what will now unfold. <laughs> Bonk. She... <laughs> She banged into the door like she forgot to open it or thought it was going to open automatically. Yes. I love it. It's it's and then she also responses, Am I impressed yet? Mm. I love it. Uh so see She Hulk just bashes the doors open and we see that the Great Hall is in ruins. Is it upside down? I don't understand what's on the ceiling of the, the... <laughs> It's a good point. Oh, there. are those the No, because they all look different. Yeah. I guess part of them look like broken the top parts of broken columns. Maybe. There's big holes in the ceiling. I don't... Yeah, it's uh, bad. The hall is shattered. And Cersei insists that this is impossible, all evidence to the contrary. And she also says that she can feel the Eternals here. That they're all everywhere. They're all around us. Then, and the walls... She all points out that the walls are incredibly thick, and you can see it, and those walls must be at least a foot thick. Maybe a couple of feet thick. I mean, those are thick walls. And as they're looking at the hole in the wall, something goes boom. And blasts another hole in the wall. Yes. And, and She-Hulk yells, Cersei. She falls inward and She-Hulk falls outward and falls and falls and falls. And this a fall, this height should not hurt her that much. But she says as she's going down, there's something funny in the gravity here. And she can't compensate, which I don't know how she compensates for falls. <laughs> she usually just falls and isn't hurt. But in any case, it seems to knock her out. And we then switch to Thor, the last person we haven't seen, who's off by himself. Also seeing that this city seems to be in ruins. And then he comes upon Cersei's fallen body. And yet she seems to be insubstantial. Yes, like a ghostish thing. And then Thor gets attacked and he looks around and it is the villain Blastar. (laughs) Now, I like Paul Ryan's art, but this Blastar is one of the silliest looking depictions of the character I've ever seen. He doesn't look right. He looks like he came out of a Saturday morning cartoon. He does not look threatening. Also, he looks like he needs dental work. He looks short. Very short. 
It's it's not good. Blastar, by the way, who's never been in this comic before, first appeared in Fantastic Four number 62 in May of 1967. He is a Stanley Jack Kirby creation, and he's a bad guy who lives in the negative zone. He has he is a someone who wants to rule and has often ruled different parts of the negative zone. He fights the Fantastic Four here quite a bit. He's a big guy with some he's he's got superhuman strength, he's hard to hurt, and he can fire power blasts out of his hands. Yep, that's why he's called Blastar. Yup. Now, you don't have this because you don't have ads in your iPad there, but uh, there's an ad for the Police Academy comic. Oh, yeah. that's what we're, There's no letters page this issue. It's instead the Police Academy ad. Police Academy. Those crazy comedic cops come to comics. Monthly fun from Marvel by Angelo De Cesare and Howard Post. I don't know who either of those people are, and I don't remember this comic. No, I don't either. In the least. I don't remember it either. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> The Bullpen Bulletin's this issue, the Stan Soapbox, is about comic conventions and how much fun they are and how everyone's welcome. And it's a it's a place where there's no hatred and everyone loves each other and um, everyone, can't we all just get along? Uh, in other items, we notice that uh, the Marvel Bullpen apparently does a t-shirt swap-a-thon. Yeah. This is the second year they've changed exchanged t-shirts with each other? I don't understand. I don't uh, get it at all. Right, and they sing songs and... There's pizza. I don't. I don't get it. And then they announced that uh, Carl Potts got married. And our profile this month is Margaret Clark. I don't know who that is. No, I don't either. She's one of the many assistant editors that I don't think lasted very long at Marvel in the late '80s, early '90s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's it. That's that the is issue. It. This was a very confusing issue. I get that you want to set something up and not give away too much, but between the stuff with the old man and the cutaway to the West to the Great Lakes Avengers. And this, ooh, mysterious, the Olympia's here, but it's not, and these people are ghosts, but I can feel them, and Gilgamesh is dying, and there's Blastar. It's all so very confusing. Yeah, I feel like this is an issue where, or this is a storyline. We, I don't think we've talked a whole lot about writing for the trades, because it wasn't a thing in 1989. There weren't yeah. a lot of trade paperbacks yet. But it will become a thing in the mid to late 90s, where they talk about, and especially in the early aughts, where they talk about writers that write for the trades because their stories are either so decompressed or so intricate that it's hard to get it from issue to issue. Right. Even though there it's one- either a four issue plot that they've stretched to six mm-hmm. or a six issue plot that probably should have been twelve. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with this is I feel like Burns writing for the trade because if you once we get to the end of this plot line, if you zoom out, you can go, oh well, now I understand why that happened, and now I get why this happened. It all does fit together, but issue to issue, it's like what is happening? Yeah. You're not being given, you're not being given enough information to even be able to formulate the questions. Like you can't even say, or to come up with a, like an idea, a premise yeah. of like, oh, I know what they're going to try to do here. Yeah, it's just all very confusing, and because again, we have characters who don't really have close ties. I feel like there's not a lot of characterization here. We're not getting good, fun character moments generally. We get a couple here and there, but not very many. I mean, we got Sprite. And there's not a lot of action. Like, if the other argument would be, well, yeah, but you've got great fight scenes. We don't have fight scenes. This issue has zero fight scenes. You get to see the Great Lakes Avengers do training for a page, and you get to see Blastar shooting at people. But it's never a fight because it's just a blast comes in and we move on. Right, and you you don't know it's him until the final page reveal. And I suppose you could argue that what you're supposed to get is the sense of foreboding, both last issue in this issue with the Eternals. But 
again, this is not shade on Paul Ryan, but the art doesn't really portray a sense of foreboding. The only reason we know there's foreboding is because the character's consistently keep telling us that there's a sense of doom well, around Well, that's them. a bad thing with the writing then. Every, I feel like every panel, somebody's like, I got a bad feeling about this. Foreboding, more like foreboring, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I feel like and it's, it is a shame because I don't love what John Byrne is doing on the West Coast, but I appreciate the craft of some of what he's doing in that title. But this title, it just flounders. And this is the main, no offense to West Coast Emergers, but this is the main title. You're supposed to put your A stuff here. Yeah. Agreed. And we're not getting that. We are not. Stick with us. We'll get to something interesting eventually. (laughs) Well, we have, let's see, where are we? We have uh, just one more issue and this plot line will be resolved. And then we are moving back to the West Coast to finish off the the little bit, tiny bit of Vision Vision Quest. Quest. And to work our way into uh, Acts of Vengeance. When does Jack of Hearts show up? Oh, 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 Jason. We have so much time before Jack of Hearts shows up. <laughs> All right, well, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go have some dinner now. Yeah, sorry, it's a, it's, a, it's a short episode. But there's also a snowstorm heading our way, and Jason needs to... Or already was here weeks ago. I don't know. Well, you can figure out when we're recording this by going to your phone putting in Avenging Hours Mansion and getting, uh, go into your weather and see what the weather was like at Avenging Hours Mansion and uh, when there was a great snowstorm. They can just get on the the live cam feed, right? The satellite that we have above the house. The ubiquitous monitor. But yeah, we need to get Jason out of here. He needs to go and get it home before it becomes too dangerous to drive his flipper all the way back to his house. (laughs) It flies. It's cool. Well, there you go then. Woo! All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, better days ahead. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is avengingour at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at avengingour. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.